We've got a great treat for you this morning. We have in our congregation some missionaries, and they go down to uh, Mexico. They have a mission down there um, that they take a group of us. How many of you have gone down to Mexico with Brenda and Art? Raise your hand for just a minute. And we've got a few here, and it's every time they go down here, they come back with, with just some awesome stories. And so we just really appreciate Brenda and Art, and Brenda's going to bring our message this morning, and she's going to talk about what's going on in the ministry. So here you go, Brenda. My prayer this morning, when I looked up and saw the sky, I went, oh, good, hardly nobody will be in church because everyone will want to stay in bed this morning, but I guess not. And my husband was really rejoicing because this morning he was like, this is going to be great. You're going to use all your words in these two services. It's going to be a quiet afternoon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, if, if you know me, that's not likely to happen. Not likely to happen. I'll. It really is a pleasure and an honor to be with you this morning and to share a little bit um, of what's going on in Mexico. Um, when I started thinking about what I was going to share on, I went, Lord, I, I don't want to just share about some changed lives. And that was like, oh, yeah, right. That's what the gospel is supposed to be. If it doesn't change your life, then it's really not the gospel. And so this morning I want to do that. I want to share some of those stories, but I also pray that your life will be changed also. And that it will be something that is not just going to be, you know, there's another missionary talking. Okay, I guess I can snooze off for a little bit. Please don't. I'll try and be as energetic as I possibly can. Many years ago, the Lord gave me a heart of a discipler. And it gets me in trouble a lot of times. I was sharing with Tina this morning is because Sometimes I can just see in your life, and I don't know how, but I know it's the Holy Spirit, and have a word of encouragement for you or something to challenge you with. And it's just the disciple's heart because I want to see you grow in God. I want to see you go ahead. I don't want you just to stay where you're at. But um, it's, it's often got me in trouble. But through the years, what I've done in the past is after I went to Bible school for three years, I went home and was at home for a year because I wanted my home church to know who I'd become because I thought I was very changed and very different. I was only home for like about eight months, and the Lord called me with Youth for Christ in a group home situation. I was there for three years and then worked in school ministry for another six years, and I, three years of school ministry and three years of drop-in ministry, so nine years in total. And then I, I knew drop-in ministry was not my cup of tea. It was hard. It was really hard. And um, is in a native community and trying to under the spiritualism and, and everything of that was just hard. You'd feel like when you'd wa- drive into Selkirk, Manitoba, you'd feel like you'd hit a wall before you entered into town. And that's how it was always just spiritual warfare all the time. So I said, Lord, if you want me to leave, have a dream job. I have two dream jobs I want to do one day. And if that's what you want me to do, can you just lay it out? One was to cook for a tree planting crew. How stupid is that? But that was one of my dream jobs. And so I, yeah, miraculously, I applied. And within a couple of weeks, I got the job. And I was like, whoa. So I ended with the drop-in center and went there. And on my way to tree plant, my second dream job after that was to be a dean at a Bible school. And on my way to tree planting job, I stopped at a Bible school and got a job. So when I was done, both of them were lined up. And so it was pretty amazing. But when we were at the Bible school, the school that I was a dean of, discipleship was the number one thing, more than school. They wanted them to learn in the classes, but they wanted to get every student discipled when they were there. So every student was in a one-on-one discipleship with someone. And it was just incredible. 
And that was when they started doing missions, team missions, out of the Bible school. And I really thought, if we want to be one-on-one here, then surely we want to be one-on-one with them when they go out, not to tell them what to do, but just to walk alongside with the students. And so I started doing that, and I started going to Mexico. And my very first trip, the Lord said, this is your next job. I went, that's great. When I retire, that's what I want to do. And throughout the years that followed, you will never have the energy of all the things I have in store that the Lord wants to do through you, Brenda, that I want to do through you. Okay, but I didn't get it. Now I'm going to be a dean because that's just like, that's a great job. I love being with students. Love it. And those transition years and just learning and, oh, man, it's just so much fun. And um, one year that I was there in 1999, um, I was there with a, a volleyball team from the college, and we had just finished our mission trip, and it had been a dynamic time down there. And I was showered, ready to go. We had to get going. We were, were driving out of Mexico, going to catch the plane in Phoenix and whatever. And I went to throw the garbage off the balcony. There were guys that were sleeping on the balcony, but their backs were all turned. And all the girls were in the cor- inside the rooms. And this was the second story. I was 14 feet up. I took the bag of garbage, and I wanted to be a basketball player, but I'm not, you can tell. Threw the garbage, but I went with it. And down I went onto the cement. And um, as I fell those 14 feet, another staff member who was with me walked outside the door right then. And he saw me hit, and I hit head first. So if you look close, I'm cut here all the way back to here. My scalp came off my head, my nose broke, and I took all the nerves out of the front of my mouth. And he, you know, a head wound, right? The blood went yeah, a nurse. <laughs> oh, boy. And he walked away, and he said, well, Lord, now that she's dead, what do I do? And it was about, about 30 seconds, and I moaned. Like, I was lifeless. And I was conscious as I was falling, and I remember thinking, who pushed me off the balcony? Because I felt a shove as I went over. I stood behind a tall pillar. There's no way I should have went over the balcony. But since that day, it's been revealed to me why. And many things happened that day in particular that you could see God's hand over it all, over it all. Which caused me to go to Mexico a little bit sooner because I knew that that's where God wanted me. And all the things that were revealed in that time, I knew that this was what I was supposed to do. It's... I remember it took five days before I could see again because my face was like a balloon. And it's really neat on that too because I had all these pictures and when I was moving, they all flew out the window one day and I went, oh, guess I'm not supposed to worship that experience. That was an experience to get me closer to God. And so, but when I could see in, in Mexico, in San Carlos or the Tetacawi, it's a famous mountain, and if you look at any pictures from Mexico, chances are you'll see the Tetacawis in that picture. And I could just peek out a slit, and I looked to the mountains, and I remembered the scripture is just the thing that you can counsel someone, you can give them peace, but when you use the word of God, it cuts to the quick, it cuts to the heart. I look to the mountains from where does my help come from? My help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. 
didn't need people's help. I needed to focus on God more than I was already. <clears throat> so it's not so much about what I do, but it's about the journey that will get others to God. And that's why many years ago I chose Colossians 1.28 as my theme verse. And maybe you have too. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. It's easy to get selfish, isn't it? It's easy to lose our focus of what we're called to. But our calling is to get others to Christ. And if you don't know Christ already, he's calling you for that same reason. Well, let's go on from there. Um, if you can go back to the very first slide there. I think you, there, our vision statement. And, and this vision statement comes out of that Colossians 1.28, that we would train servant leaders who know God, who model his character, and are able to build into others the life-changing principles of his word. You see, it's not just enough to know God and not look like him. It's not enough. You need to mirror him, because in mirroring who Jesus is draws people to them. I mean, we're, this is a competitive world, and people are thinking, what's good for me and me only? They forget what's good for others. I remember when I was working with the high school students, one of the examples, and it keeps coming back in my mind, so I guess I'm supposed to share this with you. And um, teens would ask me all the time, well, how do you succeed in loving God and, and serving him all the time? And I remember using this analogy, and maybe you've heard it before. There's two dogs in your head. Do you know it already? Do you know this analogy? There's two dogs in your head. One's black and one's white. When I feed the white dog with all the scripture that I know, and I concentrate and focus on God, the white dog's always winning. Always winning. But when I feed the black dog, and a lot of us for adults, I think it's even how do we spend our time I'm doing a devotional right on that. That feeds the black dog. And then in my thoughts and my actions, he's always winning. And I don't know what you feed your black dog with, but you need to decide what you feed it. So do you want the white dog to win or you want the black dog to win? Whatever you feed is going to be who wins. Um, this last week, it was funny because, you know, our household was a nightmare this last week. It really sucked. Just little squabbles, tension, sickness, like just things that are just not usually in our home were there this week. And in fact, on Wednesday, I text Russ, and I said, Russ, I don't feel very redeemed or sanctified. I ain't preaching. I ain't doing it. It's, this is terrible. And, um, and of course, he right away wrote me back Romans 8. Right? We are more than conquerors in him. And, and wrote the whole passage out for me. And then right away the next text was, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to preach at you. I didn't mean, I, I'm sorry. You know? And I said, no, because the word of God is the thing that gets you back on track. It quickens your spirit. If you have a heart for God, you would much rather hear a verse someone says to you to encourage you than just to hear some words of, of kindness. Because spirit calls to spirit. Um, vulnerability is, as you're a disciple, that's just key. And being 
transparent in so much that you do in your thoughts and everything. And, and I think sometimes my staff gets frustrated because I am transparent with them in wanting them to know what I'm thinking, where I've screwed up, where I recognize it. I like them to come and say, you know, that's just not right. I hate it, but I like it because I want to reflect Christ. And so if you have a discipling heart, you need to be a transparent person, a vulnerable person, not only speaking into other people's lives, but let them speak into your life also with correction or encouragement. Um, So that's our mission, our vision statement. Um, What do we do? Well, I think it'll come out in the slides, so I'll just keep going. Here we go. That's our vision statement. Arts, he's here this morning with us. Um, Art's been, I've been down there 15 years, completed 15 years. Art's been down there nine years. So um, what happened is he came on a mission trip in 2005. The rest is history. And, um, you know, it's, it blows my mind how good God is in giving you at the right thing at the right time for what you need. I mean, right, it says that in scripture, right? It says that in Corinthians, all that we need at the right, in all, I can't even quote it now. 1 Corinthians 9, 8, I think it is, that at all times and having all that we need, he will make it happen. And, um, and so that's just been a blessing because art is a farmer, but he's more than that. He's a welder, he's a mechanic, he's a physicist, he's a, um, a plumber, he's a builder, he's an architect, he's a welder, and the list just goes on and on and on. And in mission work, I mean, I had no idea what God would bring to me, but it has opened up doors far beyond what we ever dreamed as a mission center. Um, next slide. You, those faces may look familiar to you. Itsy's in the back corner this morning as well. Juan and Mary Bell have returned to Mexico already, um, but just dynamic staff. They are two of another six, so there's about eight uh, Mexicans on staff with us, and um, you know, it was always my dream that when we, when we started the ministry, that it was going to be Mexican-focused, that it was going to be definitely parachurch. We are not going to have church. We are not going to have Bible study. We're not going to have any of that because our job is to get people into the church. And if you have your own thing at your own mission, then they don't go. And I learned that with Youth for Christ. When I stopped taking kids to church, they didn't go anymore because it was built around me more than it was built around them. And I didn't want that to happen this time. I wanted it to be built around the pastors and around the body that's there so that when people connect, they'll stay connected. Um, that's why it's so important for you to know each other because if Russ and Chris would leave, it won't change the body, right? It won't change the body because we're not going to build it on a person. We're going to build it on God. Um, <coughs> this, so some of the stuff... We have a 45-bed facility. Never in my dreams would I have thought 45 beds. Uh, started with 20, and, but um, the center has become a real retreat place. Many uh, teams come in the winter months. We have a team a week, basically, from the end of December through till April. And so it's, it's busy, hard work. And each team is about 20 to 30 people. And so we line up what they're going to do, um, their ministry, their... Um, their off time, their free time, their food, their lodging, we basically look after them. So it's, it's a lot of work. It really is, and that's why it takes so many of us. Um, Mexicans are much more creative. In the summertime, they, they have more teams that come, and their teams are, can vary from 30 
to 100. So, and they just get creative where they sleep, sometimes three in a bed, and um, just wherever they can in order for retreats. And those are on weekends only. When teams come in the winter months, it's for a week long. Flipper. Okay, that's the center to date. Um, the kitchen's in the far left, and then it's a dorm building and office, and then the second building is washroom, and um, there's a washroom in each room too, but... Um, Washrooms and laundry and storage. The back building is more four rooms underneath, and um, top is uh, staff quarters. And then we have many motor homes that come for families that often come and stay for a while to do ministry as well. Uh, works out ideal. And um, I keep telling Art there's one more thing that is in the vision. I don't know when, but um, and that is to build another dorm room, <coughs> dorm building. That'll just be one-bedroom facilities. It's a burden on my heart that um, when you're a pastor in Mexico, you often live at the church, and if you go home, the family still dumps all their problems on you, and you never get a place to go where it's a retreat where you can just spend time in prayer and time just trusting the Lord to what the next step is, just you and your wife getting away. And so that's still heavy on my heart that one day we would have the finances to build that building so people in ministry could have that break. I guess in the summer months, you know, people think that ministry dies down. No, there's about 800 people or so that come through in the summer months when we're not there. So the staff is very busy on, on weekends looking after teams. It's a full-time center. The next one. Motorbike trips for us as a staffer just ideal because this time we're not looking after teams we're actually the evangelists who get to go out and go and we show a Jesus film and we go where the word of God isn't getting there as easily when we first started in one valley it wasn't there weren't very many people going at all but now it's very popular so we're kind of moving on but I want to tell you one story of one town that we rode in it was only 30 kilometers to go in but it took us three hours yeah, it took us three hours to get in. The roads were really, really bad. And we were on quads and bikes, so I mean, it's not, right? But it was just crazy and lots of loose rock. And when we got there, the town was pretty standoffish. And uh, and just didn't know and uh, couldn't really understand or whatever. But we went around, couldn't find basically anybody. Everybody was gone. Except we found this one little old lady in the very back of the village. And we went over there, and she talked to us like this, huh, what, okay? And uh, we thought, my goodness, I guess you can't hear. And I just said, would you like us to pray for you, for, for your hearing? Okay, okay. And, uh, and she said, yeah, we would pray. And so, you know, the Lord did an instant healing in her ears. And we could talk like this to her after we prayed together. It was just amazing, just amazing. But to me, it's very symbolic because it's like the Lord wants to open the ears of those who will not hear. And um, we've gone back on our way out. We found rocks on our path to try and, you know, it was a motorbike first and come around a corner and there's a big boulder. And so we know very much that they were placed. That wasn't, didn't come down the cliff. It was placed. And that happened on two occasions. And on that one trip, um, one of the guys went off in his quad over the embankment and rolled his, without hanging onto the quad, and rolled three times over, got up and walked away. Like, amazing, amazing that he was safe. But it was just such warfare on that trip. And then 
we, um, we've gone back again with, with backpacks just to love on them. And uh, it's still not received. And yet we know that God wants her. And, and that's one town that is on art's heart. It's funny how the Lord places different passion for different areas on people's hearts. And they won't let it go until we keep going and get it done. And so um, that one is on arts. But just that her ears were open, we know that one day they're going to hear. But as a result of the bikepacking trips when we were going, we found that there was a community um, in the back, 10 communities in the back, that there are no roads to, only hiking trails. You can go by mule or, or by donkey, but you have to hike in. And so some of um, the Mexicans and about 10 American Canadians have taken on to go and do those, those trips. And they've gone back twice, and they plan to go. This time there will be a 10-day a trip, and they will backpack in a lot further. But there, there's not trees where they go. They cross over two different ridges of mountains, and they're just hiking in the, in the desert. And so it's hard work, but they're committed to doing crossing the river several times. Um, but they take um, the Jesus film, with them, um, all solar panel, uh, solar powered equipment, and a little speaker like this that's solar powered that just is like a huge boombox. It's amazing what technology is now. And pack it in with the solar power showing so they can charge while they're hiking and show the film at night. In each of those towns, we have found one, sometimes three or four believers, but just aren't encouraged. So this summer, we told them, if you want to hike out, the bus will be at this point, and we will give you a week of discipleship and Bible training back at the center. And so they did that. Here's the most amazing thing to me. Um, we got them there, you know, took care of the expenses and stuff and got them there. A whole bus full came. They were crammed in the bus. And um, when they got there, the Mexican churches all of a sudden realized, this is our job to take care of our brothers and sisters in the Lord. So the Mexican churches, by the time they went back, they are the ones who had gone through their closets and gathered all the clothes that they didn't need anymore for a clothing distribution. They had put together money that they had a half ton full of food to send back with these people so they would be taken care of, like flowers and beans and rice, things that they have to buy. Um, not flour, they grind their flour, corn, sorry. Not flour, but just basic things that they would need in order to sustain. Because they all live off the land. They don't have outside jobs. They live off the land. But to me, to see the Mexican church turn around and do exactly what we've been doing with the Mexican church, now they were doing it to their Mexican brothers and sisters. To me, that's full circle going, right? Very encouraging. Next slide there. <clears throat> we, the thing that touches my heart the most is we have two feeding programs that we run weekly. They have clubs three times a week. It's in the two poorest areas of Limas, and uh, they feed the children. Ciudad de Refugio, City of Refuge, they feed about uh, 80 to 120, 130 kids um, throughout like three times a week. So depends, right? So sometimes it's over 500 meals, sometimes it's like 300 meals, depend on, on what's going on. Because it's one of the poor areas, it's very transient. People come and go. And so, um, but we're very thankful um, in that finances are provided for that. And, and a, a business in Canada is com committed to covering the expenses for the feeding programs. 
And the other one is called Casa Bella de Pan, <coughs> which we just built last year. They've been running for almost two years, but we, they now have a facility um, where they will be able to meet, and we're still doing the finishing touches on that. You know, we know, and um, just even for any of our kids' programs, if you, Scripture's just filled with promises, right? Let the little ones come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Um, train up a child in the way he should go. And in his age, old age, he will not depart from it. Those are promises that we can take. And when we start with ministering to the children, if they don't have that in their home, they're starting to hear what truth is. They have a starting point. They have a foundation to go on. And not only um, that, here at this center, to Bay in Casa de Pan and the city of the Ciudad de Refugio, they've started ladies' meetings, and specifically Casa de Pan, um, in training the ladies how to manage their finances how to cook nutritious meals as opposed to just potato chips and soda because it's convenient. So that it'll, it'll, the money will go further and the kids will be more satisfied. This, this club actually started because two little girls that I'd been working with in another community wanted a new home. Two sisters and a brother, they wanted a new home. They were tired of their mom being a prostitute. They were tired of her always being gone on drugs, not coming home when they had to stay there at night in the little shack by themselves, were they going to be safe? And, um, and so they took on those kids, and because the school saw that they were succeeding with them, asked them if they would start looking after more children. And that's how this program here began. And so it, it's just um, a real need in those two communities, and we're excited to be a part of it. The next one... I probably don't have to talk about uh, in that. We take every team here when they first come down. It's the Dream Center, which is familiar to the same here in, in the States, which is a feeding program, um, a ministry program, a feeding program on Saturday mornings where people who are transient can come and get a meal and move on. And uh, some of those people should look familiar to you. Candy and Beth will lead that ministry and just do a dynamite job, dynamite job. They have so much love for those guys. They would much rather deal with them than anybody else. It's just really cool wanting to work with them. The Centro de Rehabilitación, um, you have heard about this already um, because that's Stan's favorite place to be. Um, you know, a lot of rehabilitation centers have all kinds of programs. And this center is different in that they just use the word of God. And for 24-7, those men sit under teaching, under music, under anything that could transfer their hearts and their minds. And it happens. And when they leave, you know, they have some successes, they have not. Because at the end, it's all free choice, right? Whether you're going to return to the eating out of the slop or if you're going to return to moving forward in life. They have lots of, lots of success stories. Um, and so just a really neat, so we've just had the privilege of coming alongside him. The founder of this ministry, uh, we used to work for the train station and they, he got a huge settlement at his retirement and he uses two thirds of that retirement settlement to run the center. He pays for it and he charges the kids, uh, people who come and stay there 500 pesos to stay at the center. Well, that's 50 bucks. Well, nowadays that's not even 40, <laughs> but that's what he charges them per month. 
and, um, and he covers the rest himself. And as the people get stable, he has a number of grocery stores that they go and gather up the produce that's going bad and go through it. Uh, ones who know, he knows will not run away and, and come back. But they are under lock um, at the center. But they all live together. They're, like it says, there's 24 beds. There's more than 24 now, I think, because we've been, we've been building them and getting them more beds as we go. But most of them just sleep on the floor. And I can't see anybody from this area saying that they're willing to submit to being under lockup and then having to sleep on the floor and being very, very crowded. It just doesn't happen, right? But they're so grateful to get the help. The next slide talks about our medical teams. We have three medical teams that come down now. Um, one is, well, it's interesting, Rock Wheels, which is from this area. They come down and they build wheelchairs and we go around to the different areas um, those chairs are built specifically for a child that we've already met and have measured, and um, just an incredible ministry. I, just so many mothers, I mean, um, it's I can tell you these stories too, because when we have them come, it's just one-on-one -on -one ministry, but um, it, it's amazing how many parents say, I've never seen anybody love my child or care for my child, handle my child with such love and care. And um, that's, that's a Jesus thing. That's not, it's not anything you can fake. True love for other people. Um, this last year, we also had a, a medical team come out of Chicago. I know, eye clinic com team come out of Chicago. And they were so touched by the ministry that um, they went home and the Lord laid it upon their heart that they would take a special offering. Well, in the pastor's dreams, he was thinking about maybe twenty to $30,000 in order that they would pay for eye surgery for these Mexicans who they knew would never, ever be able to get their sight, never be able to afford a cataract surgery, never be able to, to get their eyeglasses. Um, but they, um, they raised the finances, and when the offering came in, they all had to sit down because the Lord put together $80,000 for cataract surgery and eye surgery, special surgeries that people need. Blows us away because we just stand back and go, God, why do we get the privilege of even being part of this to see you touch people's lives? And um, a team of Mexicans from the local church, they meet with them on their surgery day. They're there all the way through the process. They visit them afterwards. It's not going to be a one-time deal. We're going to love these people. We're going to share Christ with them and that they can see and read. And we had one man come back um, to the volunteer who was there, and he said, I still can't believe that you would do this. I can't believe because I can see perfectly out of my eye after his cataract surgery. I wanted you to pray for Luis tomorrow. Luis is 15 years old. How many are 15 here? Well, Jared said, okay, Jared, you're our man. Okay, and look back there. Um, no, not you. <laughs> no, you're much older. Um, anyway, he, uh, he had his eye examined, and he, his eyes were always itchy. And on that day, he was diagnosed that if he didn't have surgery, he was going to go blind by the time he's 16. Can you imagine being right now and say, you're going to be blind in a year, so enjoy what you can see today? <sighs> Crazy, huh? And, um, but if he had surgery... 
it could be repaired. Tomorrow he has surgery. So please, they fly. Juan and him have flown to Mexico City this morning, and uh, they will be with a specialist tomorrow morning, have his eyes checked again on Tuesday, and then return. The itching already, they've been able to correct it so his cornea is not scratched anymore, and that's why he can have the surgery. So, And it, that's being paid by some of those finances that have been raised. And that's really cool because, I mean, you think of what it would cost here, but for that specialist and everything that he's gone through, we've paid about $5,000. So that money's going a long way. Like, it's really going. And the doctor, the specialist in right in Wymus who's doing the surgeries, he's a believer. He has given all those surgeries half price, and he... Um, and is giving excellent care, excellent care to everyone who comes in. And he is excited to be a part of it, knowing it's the church that's doing it. So it, just a really great heart. And so there's many teams that come through. Many lives get touched. And um, it's hard to keep track of, of what, how many come through. Can you just do the next slide, too? Just... We don't want to be a social working agency. We meet those needs because the scripture says to do that, to feed the hungry and to clothe those who do not have, only for the purpose of loving on them and letting them be introduced to Jesus Christ. That's the only reason. We don't want to be, there's enough social working community businesses out there. We don't want to be another one of those. But we want to make sure that in every opportunity that the gospel is presented, even when we deliver a food hamper to someone's door, it's only to be introduced to them and ask them, is there something we can pray for you? You'd be surprised at how transparent people are when you ask them, can I pray for you about something? And we always say, well, that's just Mexico and not here. I don't think so anymore, guys. I don't think so. There's a hunger in our nation for God, for truth, for hope. And it's rising and people have this falseness of, of, of saying this is okay and I can do this and I can do that. I don't buy it for a minute. And don't buy it. People are hungry for God. They want to know where is the real truth coming from. Next slide. On one of our bike trips, I came across this scene. Of course, my mind went a thousand minutes, miles a minute as we're out on an evangelistic trip than to see this. Those stacks, they're not straw. They are actually sesame seeds. Okay, So they can cut all the the, the the plants and they stack them like that to dry and then once they're dry they lay out a tarp and they shake the plant and the sesame seeds all fall on them very very labor intensive not a lot of produce you know how much sesame seeds cost though but now you'll maybe understand a little bit more why it costs so much because not everybody's willing to blow, to blow, uh, grow those but it's <laughs> It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of watching and waiting. It takes a lot of just perseverance to get the crop. And I think sometimes that, that we bail out on people around us who we know need Jesus because we don't want to make the investment. It's too time intensive. And you know the Holy Spirit's talking to your heart and saying, you need to get involved with this person. Or you need to go on short-term mission. Or you need to go full-time on ministry. I've called you, but you keep denying me. You keep not answering me. 
because you just want to take it easy. You don't want to just be committed to the true calling of your heart. You know, there's been hard times being in ministry, but I'll tell you, there's way more blessing, way more blessing than not. Because when you, you, you soon begin to understand that the things of, of having things don't have any value anymore. It's the heart things that affect you forever. And they have a true value. That makes life easier to have all these commodities, but it doesn't give you the true joy and the true satisfaction in your heart than just loving God and serving him, telling others about him, seeing their response to him, letting the joy of the Lord being revealed in your life. That's where the true sits. And I, I just wonder if some of you need some time just to pray this through one more time with God and just say, God, what do you want from me? Or God, I know what you want from me. Help me to learn to see what it looks like and work it out in my life so I don't just keep pressing it backwards, but that I actually go forward to what you're calling. And maybe it is a short-term trip. I invite you to come to Mexico. They're coming the end of February, February 19th, um, for 10 days. Join them if you've never been on a mission trip. Because when you are there, one of the questions we ask every day is, where did you see God? How did he show up today? How did he talk to you? What influenced you to turn your focus towards him? Because we get so busy in what we're doing, we forget to look for God. And we need to look for him not just there, but here, in that same presence of walking moment by moment by the Spirit. I ask you to close your eyes. And those who can pray with people, if you could come forward. Um, if the Lord's asking you some of these hard questions today and want you want to come to the altar and just come up front here and just spend some time in prayer and, and talking it over with God one more time and, and maybe wondering how does he, what does this look like in my life? Maybe you're in college, maybe you're in a job, maybe you're retired and thinking, Lord, now what? I didn't start in ministry until I was 35 as far as going overseas. Ministry up to that point. But it's never too late. You might be 60. It's not too late. Lord God, I just thank you. I thank you so very much for today and the privilege of sharing, Lord God. And Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would hunger and thirst for you more and more in our lives. Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied in any way, shape, or form just to let it pass us by and not get in on all the great, amazing things that you have for us because you love us. You've got good plans for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts and open our minds to just lean into you and press into you, Lord. May we have such a God awareness all the time.